All right. We're going to look at chapter 7 today. We're in lesson 14. This, can I be honest with you, is probably a key chapter for all of you here. Okay? For me and you. Because I think if we understand what he's going to communicate in this chapter, it's going to help you. It's going to help you in your Christian life. It's going to help you with some of the frustration that you have. So let me just ask you a question real quick here, okay? You know, we've gone through Romans up to this point, and we've seen that we're justified, not because of ourselves, we're justified because of who, folks? Jesus, okay? We get to chapter 6, and he's now telling us to no longer yield our members, that is, yield our bodies, to sin. We're dead to sin. We're no longer under its power. So you need to stop sinning is basically what he's telling you there, right? Okay? Because that's no longer you. You're a new you. you don't, you're no longer under that power. But here's the reality. How many of you sinned this week? Huh? Let me see your hands. I better see everybody's hand. Well, I don't think I sinned. Well, you do sin ignorantly too, you know. Okay? Do you ever get frustrated by that? I mean, you want to live for Jesus. You know that you should be doing right. Do you ever get frustrated by that? And and sometimes you even get to the point like, what's the use? What's the use? Why even go there? Because I'm just going to fall on my face again. God set this standard, this bar, way up here that he wants me to reach, and it almost seems unattainable. Do you know what I mean? Unattainable. That the only one who could reach it is who? Jesus. Folks, that's why Romans chapter 7 is in the Bible for you. Now, I'll be flat out honest with you, Romans chapter 7 is not without its controversy. Uh, there are some, there, there's a little bit of controversy with regards to chapter 7. Now, if you just read it, you would never know that there's a controversy, but there is. The controversy has to do with who's Paul talking about? Is Paul talking about himself? Some people think he's talking about an unbeliever. Some people think that he's talking about himself before he got saved. And I think the more practical way is just to read it the way it's written. It's about Paul and his struggle with the Christian life. And so here, here's what I want you to see. We're going to read about Paul's struggle that goes on in his body every day that you and I can relate to. And think about this. He's the apostle. He's the apostle. Now, if you believe that you can reach perfection in this life, and there are some Christians who believe that they can reach perfection, okay? What do you mean by perfection, George? Well, there are some people who believe that you can reach a point where you cannot sin anymore. Usually, they're in a, they belong to a holiness movement, okay? If you believe that, you will not like this chapter, because that's why you will say that this is Paul before he got saved, but as, I think as you read it, you're going to find out that 
No, this is Paul talking about himself. How do we know that? Well, the way the language is written, Greek's a very precise language, he's writing in the first person. Present tense. Not past tense. Okay? So let's go through it together. We're going to talk about the continual struggle. See, this is the key thing. We've got all this foundation. We're justified, not because of ourselves, but because of Christ. We've been called to lay aside sin. Reckon yourself. Make a decision. Don't yield your bodies anymore. Boom. Then we come to chapter 7. Let's look at what chapter 7 says. We're going to see, first of all, the dominion of the law. Look with me in verses 1 to 6. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, and she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of letter. Okay, so let's look at this issue of the dominion of the law. First of all, Paul's addressing those who have an understanding of the law. So he's addressing primarily Jewish Christians, but you and I have a little bit of understanding of the law, so this is going to be relevant to all of us here. He's addressing those who have an understanding of the law. He reminds them that the law rules over a man as long as he is alive. Now again, we're talking about the Old Testament law. Who is bound by the Old Testament law? Anybody? I, I heard, heard it rumor. Still softly. Speak it out. Who is it? Jews. Okay, thanks, Bruce. All right. Jews. All right, so it's Jews who are bound by the Old Testament law. Are you as Gentiles bound by the Old Testament law? No, they've had councils, church councils. Acts chapter 15 is a church council. It says you're not bound by the law. Okay? All right. But he's talking to those who have an understanding of law. They're primarily Jews. And he reminds them that the law rules over a man as long as he is alive. Now we know that, not just in terms of a Old Testament. We know that from everyday life. The laws of Pennsylvania, the laws of the United States rule over us as long as we're what? You know, you know like what's for sure? Taxes, right? And death. And you got taxes until you're what? And they say you get taxed after you're dead, too. So, I mean, I mean, it's the law, all right? So, he uses the illustration of marriage to make his point. He's using the illustration of marriage to make his point. Now, I want to stop for a moment. When we get into illustrations of marriage, some people like to grab some doctrine out of this, but I want you to remember something about the marriage 
We're talking about a Jewish marriage here in Palestine 2,000 years ago. All right? We're talking about Jewish marriage here in Palestine 2,000 years ago. So he's going to use the illustration of marriage to make his point. Now, I want you to remember something. It's a patriarchal system. What does that mean, George? Well, have any of you paid attention to what the Middle East is like and the role of women in the Middle East today? Have any of you paid attention to that in the news? How are they doing over there in most of the conservative nations there? How are they doing? Are they styling and profiling? They don't have rights. Their, their rights are subjected to who? To a husband or their father. Okay? Now, I want to back you up for a moment. That's what we're talking about here. It's not that far removed from... It's In a lot of ways, the Middle East is still the way it was centuries ago. That's what we're talking about here. So that's the next point. A woman is bound to her husband... As long as she is alive. You have to understand, in their culture, women didn't divorce. That was a Roman culture thing. Actually, women divorcing their husbands, that existed in the Roman Greek culture. Did not exist in Jewish culture. Okay? Existed in Gentile culture, did not exist in Roman, in in Jewish culture. Because it was the man who gave the woman a what? A certificate of divorce. And if you notice in every one of these passages, it refers to the person who then remarries as an adulteress. Female, feminine term. So, a woman is bound to her husband as long as she is alive. So he's using this as an illustration to talk about the law. If the husband dies, the woman is free from the what? Law of marriage. So if her husband dies, she's a widow then, she's free from the law of marriage. Now, let me just stop for a moment. That doesn't necessarily mean she can just go marry whoever she wanted to now. How do you know that, George? Well, go all the way back with me to Genesis. Jacob's son, Judah, had a son who married Tamar. And the first son died because he sinned before the Lord. So then she was given, understand it wasn't her choice, she was given to the next son. His name was Onan. And he was also killed because he didn't do right. So then she was supposed to be given to the next son. That was the way, you understand, They, we live in a culture, we, we were just having this discussion the other day in our household. We live in a culture where you choose who you want to marry. Their culture wasn't that way. Your family chose who you married. They were arranged marriages. And there was usually an exchange of money or a dowry or something like that. But the fact is, is that for illustration purposes, Paul is saying, when the husband died, the woman was free from that law of marriage, of being bound to the husband. Didn't mean she was free from everything else. So, let's go on. If she leaves and marries another man while her husband is alive, she is an adulteress. In their culture, 
if she left and, and married another man, she would be considered an adulteress. Now, Paul is just expressing the culture of his day. Do you understand what I'm saying here? He's using this illustration. Everybody reading this would be like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I see what you're saying, Paul. You understand? His illustration would be understandable to them. Now, to you and I, when I explain to you what their culture is like and what it was like for a woman there, you're like, I can't believe that. Holy cow, I'd kill him. You know, do you know what I'm saying? I mean, you, you know, your response is, is like, you're, you're looking at it from your cultural perspective. But to the readers, when they first read this, they would understand completely what Paul's talking about. So, here's the thing. He's using this as an illustration of, for you and I to understand the truth here. Through Jesus Christ, believers have become dead to the law. All right. If, you're the, if you've got notes and you're taking notes, you need to put a star by that point. You've become dead to the law. Now, thinking about what we just looked at as far as an illustration from, the, from, the, from a Palestinian marriage of that time, a Jewish marriage of that time, what do you think that means? Okay, we're free from the law. Okay, all right. All right. That's a good statement, a correct statement. What do you think that means, though? Let's get practical. What do you think that means? What? Let's take that truth, bring it down to your level. What does that mean? All right, Bruce says we no longer owe the law anything. That's good, Bruce. Anybody else? Bring it down. Let's bring it down even further. Yes? Okay, yeah, that's that's good. You could, that's a practical way of saying it. That's good, Gene. All right. You're free to rejoy a new relationship. Okay, that's good. Oh, both of you are correct. You're in the same area. That's you're getting there. All right, you're not bound by the law. Okay, let me just stop for a moment. You ever you ever said I'm gonna I'm gonna start my I'm gonna start having a meaningful time with the Lord, and I'm gonna read my Bible. And I'm going to read it every day. I'm going to have a time of prayer. Well, that worked for about a week or so. And then everything broke loose that one week. Okay? And it was like from the moment you got up to the moment you went to bed, it was nonstop. And guess what you didn't do? You didn't read your Bible. Oh, you were praying. Help! My week! But your Bible reading fell on the wayside. Now, how were you feeling? I heard some, I heard mumbling. Come on, folks, get alive, get some coffee going in you. What? What? Beaten? What did you say, mumbling? What? Guilty. Rob, more guilty. Okay. Alright. Anybody else? Why were you feeling beaten, defeated, guilty? Why? Why were you feeling that? Okay, let's, let's bring it home, because this, this is relevant. 
why were you feeling that way? Because you're trying to do it on your own. Okay, you're trying to do it on your own. That's good, Jim. You're getting there. Not relying on, on Christ for, for the grace to get through that moment. Okay, not relying on Christ for the grace. God's mad at you now because you didn't get a chance to do what you said you were going to do. Okay, and, all right, Bruce, you're getting there. You think God's mad at you because you didn't do All right, why do you think God's mad at you? Because he's holding the rules. It's a rule. It's a rule. What were you going to say, Joy? Unbelief, okay. Okay, well, yeah, that's a, but for most folks, they're not thinking about it in terms of their failing themselves. They think they failed who? God. Okay, here's what I want you to understand. You have bound yourself to a law. What law, George? Thou shalt read thy Bible every day. You created a law for yourself. And because you couldn't keep that law every day, because life happens, okay, you now feel defeated. You now feel, what did you say, Danny? Unworthy, okay. Yeah, you, you, you now feel guilty. Did you understand what I'm saying? Here's the point I want you to see. You've been freed from that. All right, let's back up. Let's take a, let's pan out and put our eyes on God. Folks, here's how awesome your God is. Your God not only gave you salvation that had nothing to do with you, had everything to do with Jesus. He not only broke the power of sin in your life so that you can no longer have to say yes to it, you can say no to it. But your God freed you from the one thing that defeats everybody. The law, does everybody agree with me when I say that? I'm going to make a statement. The law defeats everybody. Does everybody agree with that? Remember Peter in Acts, why are we wanting to impose on them what we ourselves could not, what, keep? So what he's saying here is, is through Jesus Christ, you have died to the law. You're not bound to the law anymore. I mean, I can do anything I want to do. No, 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 no. We already, already went through that discussion. But what we're talking about is the struggle that goes on with us. This is what this chapter is about. This chapter is about the struggle. Because of this, we can be married to Christ so that we can bear what? Spiritual fruit. You and I have been freed from the law so that we can be married to Jesus and bear spiritual fruit. Now let me just stop for a moment, because I know this, because you know my ordination is independent Baptist, and, and for years I was told spiritual fruit is how many people you lead to Jesus? Wow. That is not what the New Testament says when it talks about spiritual fruit. It's talking about love, joy, peace, patience. Those are all things about my what? Character. It's what God produces in me. Okay? Now, having said that, that doesn't remove your responsibility for sharing with others. Okay? 
I'm to share with Je- share Jesus with others so that they can come to know Jesus and be saved from hell. That should be more of a compulsion than what how many fruit I get. Okay. Now, because of this, we're married to Christ so that He can produce in you the spiritual fruit. Do you understand? Now, here's what I want you to see. The law stirs up sinful passions in our flesh. There's a little little quaint story of of a of a family that lived in the suburbs on a busy road. And daddy's very protective of his little daughter and 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 the little daughter wanted to play out in the front yard, but you know cars are cars are going back and forth. And daddy says, "Okay, but you're not allowed to touch the sidewalk. You're not allowed to touch the sidewalk. You got to stay in the grass, stay away from the sidewalk. Do not touch the sidewalk. Okay, Daddy. About ten minutes later, he's looking out to see how she's doing, and he sees her. And you got to picture this: is a little little girl, about four years old, up with her toes trying to see how close she could get to the sidewalk without touching it, okay, without touching it. Why would she do that? Because we've got this in us that when somebody tells you not to do it, you want to what? You want to do it. You know what I'm saying? If somebody tells you don't do it, the first thing you want to do is what? Yeah, like if you don't want somebody to know your stuff, don't go over to them and say, hey, don't share this with anybody. You just told them to. Because they're going to be like, oh, oh, oh. They're just dying to share their stuff. You know what I'm saying? Why? It's our human nature. Okay, it's our human nature. And the law stirs up sinful passions in our flesh. The law stirs up sinful passions in our flesh. These sinful passions stir up our bodies to produce fruit that leads to death. These sinful passions that the law stirs up, stirs up our bodies, because it's our bodies that are engaging in this, right? Alright? To produce fruit that leads to what? Death. Not just spiritual death. You say, I'm saved now. What kind of death are you talking about? Well, it ultimately leads to your physical death, but here's the other thing. Death is more than just Physical and spiritual. Death is in relationships. Death is in everything. Sin sin destroys. Do you understand? Sin destroys. And it just, you know, it's like a nuclear bomb. You ever seen how the, you, they can't contain the explosion from a nuclear bomb. Oh, we're going, we're going to blow away five miles here. No, when they drop a bomb, it blows away what it blows away. They can't pinpoint, oh, we're just going to take out this block but leave this block. No. I mean, it is devastating what sin does. Now, Paul reminds his readers that they have been delivered from the law which bound them. You and I have been delivered from that law which bound us. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you something. This is a little secret. We keep it a secret, but here's the truth that shouldn't be a secret. The reality that you're not bound to the law is something that the enemy wants you to forget. The enemy, Satan, he doesn't want you to know that you're not bound by the law. He wants you 
to live in bondage to a fear that you, God's not accepting you anymore. God, God's displeased with you because you're not bound to a law anymore. Do you understand what I'm saying? He wants you to be defeated. So he doesn't want you to understand this truth. Did you understand what I'm saying? He wants you to feel like I'm there's no way possible. There's no no no. He wants you to under he doesn't want you to understand grace. Write that down. The enemy does not want you to understand grace. He definitely wants you to understand law. Do you know what I mean? Why? Because when you're consumed by the law, that's where he trips you up. Do you understand? Because when you're consumed by the law, that's where he trips you up. Paul reminds his readers that they have been delivered from the law which bound them. Because of this, they serve a God in newness of spirit rather than the letter of the law. The issue isn't, listen to me folks, the issue isn't whether or not I keep every jot and tittle of the law, because I can't. The issue is whether or not I'm walking in newness of what? The Spirit. I'm walking in the newness of who I am in Jesus. Well, I don't know that I can I can handle that, George, because I'm still going to mess up. Yeah, but you can still walk in the newness of Jesus, but the realization is, yeah, I mess up, but I'm what? Forgiven. Did you understand what I'm saying? You know what? I wish I had known this years ago. Because I wasn't taught that as a young Christian, a 19-year-old, going into an independent Baptist church. I wasn't taught that. And, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know that they wanted me to know that. Why? Here, I'll tell you why. It's easier to control people through fear than it is to allow them to be who they really are in Jesus. Do you understand? It's easier to control them by, well, you're not good enough, or you messed up, or you did this, and you got, you, your marriage failed, or, or this, that, or another. It's easier to control people, but please take a seat and make sure you tithe. Isn't that right? Make sure you bring your tithe. That's the 11th commandment. Don't you know that? Thou shalt tithe. Right? It is in some churches. Now, let's look at the relationship of the law with sin. Look with me at verses 7 through 13. And this is where, actually verses 7 through 12, this is where we're going to be the rest of our time. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking the opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was once alive without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin... Taking the occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it killed me. 
Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. All right, now he's going to talk about how the law, which is supposed to be pure and good, and it is, how's it become this instrument of defeat, death in my life? Okay, so he's going to talk about the relationship of that with sin. So first of all, Paul anticipates the question that the law is sin. So he's anticipating that his Jewish readers, his Jewish Christian readers are going to say to him, well, I guess you're saying that the law is sin then. And Paul's response is, he uses strong language to express that he rejects the idea. It's almost like in a Greek way he's saying, no way! The believer would not know what sin is until the law revealed it. Isn't that true? You don't know if you're doing wrong until somebody revealed to you that you're doing wrong, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, think back for a moment when you had little kids. When you, when your children were younger, just starting out, and they were just going through life doing everything, and they didn't know that they weren't supposed to do something until you told them what? No! Don't do that! Stop that! You know, they think it's okay. Because up until that point, it was okay, and we would say, oh, that's funny, that's la-. but at a certain point, you have to decide, oh, no, 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 you need to stop that. What are we doing? We're imposing on them a what? A law. So, the believer would not know what sin is until the law revealed it. Because of the law, sin sees the moment, and evil desires emerge within us. So, the law is not evil. The law reveals a boundary, but here's what the law, what happens is, is sin takes advantage. The power of sin in your life takes advantage. And the power of sin then seizes the moment to create in you that evil little desire. Oh. Why not? I wonder what that would be like. Did you know what I'm saying? Let's try that. Why are they telling me no? There must be holding out on me. Isn't that what we think? Opening doors to our lives that we can't shut later. Alright, so because of the law, sin sees the moment and evil desires emerge within us. Paul states that before the law he was alive, but sin revived, the law revived sin and he died. He didn't die physically, folks. He's talking about a spiritual death here. He was alive until the law was revealed, and then he what? Died. Do you know what I mean? It's like you're going out and you're doing something and you really enjoy doing Oh, man, I just love doing this until somebody told you, no, you can't do that. That's not. That's against the law. And so now, you still enjoy doing it, and so you keep doing it, but now in the back of your mind, there's this conscience that says to you, you're not doing right. You're not doing right, and you're like nervous now. You're looking over your shoulder. Who's who's watching me? Who's watching me? Who's seeing me? Who's taking, am I going to be on Facebook? You know? 
That's death, folks. That's what the law does. Alright? That's what the law does. The commandment brought death to Paul rather than life. Here's what I want you to understand. Anybody tells you that they live by the Ten Commandments? Ever had anybody tell you that? They used to say that all the time. Oh, I live by the Ten Commandments. My response is I want to say to them, well, that must be a pretty miserable life. Because it wouldn't be miserable. If you're trying to live by the Ten Commandments, you're going to be miserable. Why? Because you can't. One trip to Walmart will mess you up. Why? Thou shall not covet. And that's from everything, from the candy bar at the checkout to everything, okay? Thou shall not covet. You'd be messed up. The reality is this. The commandment brought death to Paul rather than life. Sin used the commandment to deceive Paul and to what? Kill him spiritually. All right, let's stop for a moment. Let's go back to our illustration. You want to get closer to the Lord. You want to have a newness in your Christian life. And you say, I'm going to read my Bible every day. And you're doing okay. Maybe a couple weeks you're doing all right. But I told you that one week comes and it's like breaking loose. And you can't get to your Bible reading. Now here's what sin does. Sin uses that in your life to bring you death spiritually. What do you mean death spiritually, George? I'm alive spiritually. No, but there's a a different type of spiritual death. It's called defeat. It uses the law to wipe you out. Because now you think, well, I'm not a good Christian anymore. There's no way I can get close to you, Lord. Seriously? You're in the midst of the battle. Did you understand what I'm saying? When, when, here, did you ever, I want you to think of it. When your week falls apart, I want you to think of it in terms of, I'm in the battle now. Use the, I'm at war. Cause you don't know who's throwing it at you. Do you know, can you see everything that's going on in this room? Oh yeah, I can see everybody here, George. No, you can't. There's a spiritual dimension here that we don't see. Do you understand? You gotta grasp that. So sin, the power of sin, excuse me, takes advantage of the law to defeat you. That's the point he's making here. So instead of blaming the law, Paul points out that it was what? Holy, just, and good. The law, God's law is holy, just, and good. He's not blaming the law. He's not blaming the law. He's not blaming the law. Now next week, we're going to get a little bit more deeper into the struggle. This has been a good foundation, because next week it's really going to come down to, you ready for this? Well, the good I want to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, I end up doing. And Paul makes this statement, O wretched man, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? Did you understand what I'm saying? You ever feel that way? You're like, you're so sick of the battle, the struggle going on within you. I mean, if you're a maturing Christian, you've got to come to that place where you're, you're like done with it. You're sick of it. That's, next week's going to be a really good chapter, folks. Alright?